Welcome in to the first Esports Network podcast of 2020. I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today I'm joined by Adam Fitch. He's the editor of Esports Insider, the winner of the 2019 Journalist of the Year Award from the UK Esports Awards, and he's the host of the Adam Fitch podcast. If you enjoy this show, you will likely enjoy his as well. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm not too bad, thank you. As um, it started to become a trend in the past year or so for me, I literally get no breaks throughout a day, so it's actually good to just book in a podcast and sit and and just talk about esports instead of writing about it all the time, you know? The podcasts do feel like a nice break from writing. It's a little more relaxed, especially when you're on somebody else's show, because now you can just go wild and have fun. That's the plan. (laughs) That is the plan, I'll tell you that much. And we're going to have fun today because we're talking about Activision Blizzard and just a myriad of different issues they have seen pop up regarding the Overwatch and Call of Duty leagues. Uh, Adam, how would you summarize the last few weeks of news coming out of the Activision Blizzard world? Um, I I would say they've um, bitten more than they can chew. They've completely taken on too much into short space of time and everything's kind of crumbling around them, at least from a PR perspective, you know, um, that they, they, they try to, um, kind of massage things on Christmas Eve. I think it was with the CDL changes, but, um, you can kind of see beyond that and see why they've had to make those changes and it doesn't, it doesn't look good for them. So it's just been a mess overall, really. Yeah. I told you guys, this is going to be fun. We are going, <laughs> uh, in, on Activision Blizzard today. Uh, Adam mentions the changes on Christmas Eve. They also release news on New Year's Eve, which are not the dates you release news that you perceive as positive. Uh, Just as a general rule, if you want press to cover it, don't put it on the holidays. Uh, So we're going to get into all these different issues. We've got some main ones, uh, those rule changes. We've got talent leaving the OWL and the the CDL. I'm going to get those mixed up I keep saying <laughs> OWL and CDL constantly Overwatch League Call of Duty League you get it if I say CWL that's the old one and sue me um, <laughs> and then the last one is the travel concerns absolutely insane travel demands so we're gonna be covering all those in depth but for people who aren't familiar with the Activision Blizzard franchise leagues real quick bullet points OWL and CDL are moving to this homestand weekend format it's kind of like home and away in traditional sports but it's not Half the league moves to one location, or in the CDL, the entire league moves to one location, and they play all their games there, and now the CDL format just changed again. A lot of moving parts going on right now. Uh, They call this the future of esports in that it's supposed to open up new revenue streams, it's an entirely new model, uh, and the buy-ins are absolutely ludicrous. They began around $20 and they've topped out at over $50 for some teams in the Overwatch League, which is just above market prices for esports. No matter how you want to spin it, uh, that's too much to be paying for these leagues in their current state. Yeah, well, Those I'm actually, can I, can yeah, I just ask a very quick question? Why Why is the format one way for the CDL and another, way for, another one for the Overwatch League? I don't understand. It's run by the same people, right? Same team. Activision Blizzard Esports Leagues is in charge of both. So why, why are they so different despite wanting to be similar? It doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make it. The only explanation is that the Call of Duty scene's well-established, and so they tried to make it be the exact same as the Overwatch. And then clearly there was a ton of pushback from endemic Call of Duty organizations, from players, from teams, and from fans that wanted 
uh, the old format, the tournament-based format that they've come to expect from Call of Duty events. So that's the only logical explanation to me is that they were just getting a ton of pushback and they didn't stick to it. Uh, and you can you can understand why. Say if I'm uh, I'm I'm Paris Legion and I traveled to Dallas Empire and I play one series. Why have I traveled from Europe to North America to lose probably for one series and then go home? It, it makes no sense sense at all. The old format. Uh, it's, it's it's just I don't understand how they could even decide on that format in the first place. It just it makes me think that they're listening to people who aren't experienced in esports and especially in Call of Duty uh, and perhaps come from sports or elsewhere and think they know best when if they actually listen to the team owners who have spent at least 25 million of their own money to get in then they wouldn't have have had all of this backlash and all of this bullshit happen already before the leagues even started yeah it's and it doesn't even happen in pro sports that's the crazy thing to me is that you don't just now the nfl is like experimenting with the occasional game in london but having a league that's truly international with with teams traveling the globe to play individual series doesn't exist anywhere besides like the Champions League in football, right? Yeah. yeah. My- and, and, and we're a digital industry. So we're actually doing this backwards. Like we can we can play anyone anywhere, basically. And we're choosing to travel around the world to do it because we're really shit at monetizing. It all just seems very, very backwards to me. Yeah. And the travel numbers are absolutely staggering in fact let's just start right there Mm -hmm. so again the overwatch league has 20 teams and these teams are everywhere from asia south korea to london to the east coast of the u.s the west coast of the u.s it is a fully global 24-hour league and upcomer had two writers eric door and Eric Dorr and Sasha Heinsch, I hope I said their names correctly, they tallied up travel times for the teams in the the OWL in 2020. The London Spitfire and the Boston Uprising will travel over 70,000 miles in 2020. 70,000, that's absurd. So for example, the NBA team's travel for an 82-game season is 40,000 miles. The top travel time for an MLB team who plays 162 games, was 46,000 miles. The Overwatch teams are going to be traveling 70,000 miles. The top end of the Overwatch teams are going to be paying, be traveling 70,000 miles to play 24 weeks of competition. It's, That's it's bollocks. It's fucking absurd. <laughs> and the thing, the thing is as well, uh, in, 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 in like 2020, that the climate is obviously, we want to protect the climate, right? These cons are going to be flying about every week like miles upon miles upon miles so you know um people will be coming out and complaining about that at some point right as well like they they don't win in any way with this format they do not win in any way the players are going to be absolutely fucking knackered i assume they're going to have um a a variety of talent save so to stop maven having to fly about across the world all the time to cover everything you know i assume they're going to have some europeans there for paris and london uh, some on the West Coast, some on the East Coast in America as well. I don't know. It just seems like it's going to be very, very, um, like, kind of, how do I put it? Just bundled together and just made to work. And I don't even know if it will work. Yeah, it doesn't. Homestead Weekend was supposed to be the transitionary year, right? Where it's like, okay, we're going to try and move to this home and away format. We're going to do this now. And somehow they made a format 
that feels so extreme it doesn't even have a parallel in pro sports that blows my mind and when you look at these sports teams jet lag is a huge issue for these pro sports teams traveling half the distance so the average for an owl team i shouldn't just use the top end the average is about fifty-five thousand. so still another fifteen thousand, and a crazy dif- difference between the lowest team which is at about twenty thousand, and the top team which is at seventy thousand. so the jet lag is going to play a huge issue and that already plays an issue in pro sports and these guys are playing are traveling on private jets they hardly even see they don't go through an airport security a spoiler, the Overwatch teams are not going to be doing that. They're going to be an economy traveling 70,000 miles over the course of one year. That sounds like hell. I would hate that. Uh, what happens if there are visa issues, which is obviously uh, they're rife in esports at the moment? Uh, Germany's just approved their esports visas, but like, even they're not even into play yet. But what about the countries that don't embrace esports as much? Like, it's, it's undoubtedly going to be some visa problems. What do you do? Just cancel an entire event where you've been charging people $100 or however much to, to come and, and, and watch these teams play and they can't even make it? It's, yeah, the visa issues are always been a problem in esports and are only going to be uh, ex- accelerated here. We've also got four teams based in China. Who knows what geopolitical issues will arise with teams that now need to travel to China and the U.S. government and China's government are not on good terms. They're not willing to have the American team come. Who knows where we're coming from? But the point is that there is way too many issues uh, on the horizon, and we already are seeing some pop up, and we haven't even played the first game. I think that's what scares me the most is like, hey, it's the first year of this weird experiment. Things were going to go wrong, but we haven't started yet. And when it's really clear that things are already going wrong, now we're headed towards like train wreck territory. You know, it's like, okay, the red flags are here and they're waving all over the place. How this ends up is not likely to be very good. Uh, it's crazy. Before they even announced the format, there was there was some there was some shit. So with Atlanta phase, you've been able to use the phase name and, and partial partially using the branding. Like th- there was shit there that was going on behind the scenes where, where people weren't happy uh, and, and like... I think I was the only person who ended up like looking into that and getting any answers. But I mean, there was disparity there before before games were even thought of, before a format was even thought of, like naming and branding and creating an identity for your twenty five million dollars. Even that, there was fuck ups there. Like if you fuck up right at the beginning, yeah, it's it's not a good sign. <laughs> and I mean, it's just, I just feel sorry for all the people that have invested so much money into this already. Like, I, I, it already feels kind of like a write-off before it's even started, which is probably the wrong attitude. But it's just you, you have to go go off of what you've seen and what you continue to see, and 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 there's been no positives yet. It just, yeah, I mean, they're they're spinning the press. People are, I you mentioned talking to Atlanta Phase and. I'll link that article below. It's a great look at how a team is licensing an established brand, the FaZe Clan, obviously one of the most established brands in Call of Duty, one that didn't directly invest in the Call of Duty League, but instead partnered with Atlanta Esports Ventures, I believe is that backing company. That's true. Uh, And then they became part of it and they licensed out the logo, basically. They're like, oh, we're going to invest in this and you can be FaZe for this league. Well, let let me give you a little tidbit there. Yeah, please. Um... I got it on authority by people I 100% trust and spoke to people about this within FaZe. Um, FaZe did go for a spot. They, they themselves, they, really? they went for a spot um, and, and they tried negotiating with Activision Blizzard and it didn't go well for them. 
they, they tried big dick energy in it. They tried going in and saying, look, like we're bigger than COD. Like you need us more than we need you. So let's cut a favorable deal here. And then obviously, as you can tell, it didn't work out that way. They're not necessarily wrong. It was a huge red flag to not have places like 100 Thieves led by Nadeshot in the Call of Duty League, not have Optic Gaming in its former glory with Hex over in Chicago and Optic being just a just a branding name for the uh, LA franchise. So having not having those endemic voices, uh, we think that's a huge issue. Apparently Activision Blizzard does not. I, if I was FaZe, I would have done the same thing. I'd be like, yeah. You need us when you do this. And they're like, no, we don't. We'll be fine. Yeah. So I, so I spoke to Hastro and I asked him about um, whether if, mm-hmm. if, he, if he was aware that you could do that. Because obviously um, everything points towards that not being an available, available option, at least for Overwatch League, right? Uh, and he said they became aware of it, but um, they were already fully invested on, on Empire at that point. So it appears to me that there was a rule in place. And then towards the end, they bent the rules to accommodate Atlanta phase but it was too late for other franchises, perhaps your envies and, and splices and stuff, right? I, th- I think yeah, I, that, of course that, you... that's how I've, I've kind of had to connect the dots myself on some bits. But th- that, that's the picture I've painted there. Like it's just it's just been again a last minute decision that's fucked up for other people. Like I mean, you have London Spitfire, which could just be Cloud Nine. They already have the baby blue. There's no reason if so, if FaZe is doing this, why Hastro's team can't be Envy? Why mm-hmm. the Spitfire can't be C9? That's what esports fans have come to embrace. And so now they're trying to build up these alternate brands with this different universe based in a different city. It's like, why do we need... Why can't Chicago be NRG? I, I don't quite understand. And if it was unilateral across the board, then sure, I guess I, I see that. But when then you do Atlanta FaZe or you have Optic... Uh, Los Angeles Optic, it feels like you're making weird exceptions for brands that couldn't figure out their own branding. Yeah, I guess mm-hmm. it's, it's wild, mate. I mean, like like Splice now. Splice doesn't exist anymore for all intents and purposes. Ever since um, the team was rebranded to Mad Lions, like Overactive Media could have used the Splice brand exclusively for the CDL. Like like it- like Immortals Gaming Club do- have done for Optic Gaming. You know, I mean, it seems like that's an oversight as well. Like, you know, what I mean, it's just so many things where I just question it, and I think, well, this this isn't even right. Like London Royal Ravens, they were just called the London Ravens at, at first. Like, I found the trademark for that, and then they filed for Royal Ravens. But you have to get approval from from the powers that be in the UK to even use Royal in a company name. Like everything, every single thing I look at, it just, it just doesn't seem right. It just feels like they were operating on way too accelerated of a timeline. At least with the Overwatch League, there was some sort of run up, and it was like, okay, we're spending the first two years in Los Angeles, and we're gonna get the feet, like we're gonna get our feet under us before we try to this. And they still have a host of issues that hasn't really made things a lot better. No, but at least they gave themselves some time to try and get broadcast talent established, get people into the scene and built into it, and built fans. And then for Call of Duty, it's like, all right, we're changing everything. All these new teams are coming in. Uh, you're getting priced out. You're getting priced out, and go. It's it's insane. All everything just points back to Activision Blizzard having the best sales team in the industry. I've said it so many times, sure. and it, I can't think of a better one because they're they're selling hopes and dreams for fucking millions of dollars and providing nothing in return. Like it's it's insane, and like that whole Twitch ninety million dollar thing, that we'll never see that again for this kind of league ever. 
it's that was an absolutely absurd deal. So what Adam's mentioning is that Twitch bought exclusive broadcast rights to Overwatch for ninety million dollars uh, in before the first season, I believe. That Correct. was before an Overwatch game had ever been played. Uh, so I was at TwitchCon in September, and it also overlapped with the Overwatch finals. TwitchCon didn't have anywhere to watch the Overwatch League finals. <laughs> That's telling, rather telling, at least. They paid ninety million for this thing, and everyone's there. And I was talking to, I believe it was uh, Ben Goldhaber, an old mm-hmm. Twitch employee, now found it juked. Uh, and he was like, "Where are we watching this? What? Why is there? We own the rights to this, and we're at Twitch's biggest event for Overwatch's biggest event. You'd think center stage would be a viewing party, but no, not. Couldn't find a place to watch it. Didn't see one. You, you can you can read um, many many things from that, right? And, and they're all they're all negative. <laughs> Again, which seems to be a, a kind of theme of, it, of this podcast so far. Um, but I mean, you just got to be realistic about things. I don't, I don't think too many people actually hold, um, especially Overwatch League fans, do not hold like the league and Activision Blizzard accountable and, and actually say things as they are from a from an outside perspective because they're too invested in it, so they can't actually see what's what. So it may seem really negative, but like it's just that's how things are. This is the current state of Overwatch League and Call of Duty League. Like it's, it's, they are not in a good place, and one hasn't hasn't even started yet. Yeah, I absolutely agree, and it's negative. We're not shitting on it out of nowhere. We're shitting on it because these are the things we're hearing, and it's like, wait, what's going on? I wouldn't. And to to go positive for a second, I really hope this works. I Me don't. Too. I want to make that clear. Me too. This would be amazing for esports if it actually works and it's sold out stadiums around the globe and travel things are fine the players love it if it actually runs correctly that would be fantastic i am rooting for it 100 of the way but we have to bring up the issues all the red flags we're seeing because these kind of experiments we've seen them before in esports where this is huge and if it doesn't work they've brought in a ton of outside money who is investing in esports for the first time, your Stan Kroenke's, your Robert Kraft's, these sports owners who are finally putting in money in esports. And if it doesn't work, they that money might take a long time to come back to this esports world. This is where they chose to invest in. You can talk about that investment being correct or incorrect. But if it gets if there if this event if this league fails, it's really, it's pretty bad for esports future. It's going to take a while to get those people back on board with the future of it. And that might be fine. We might not want those people <laughs> in it at all. But that is one of the, the potential drawbacks of this. Without a doubt, yeah. It's, it's bigger than either of these leagues. And as you say, at the end of the day, it could take a long time for people to come back. And whether you want them or not, like, it's essential that we, we have this investment and, and this cash flow in the industry. And, and yeah, if, if Overwatch League fails and CDL fails, then people use that as the gold standard to look at for esports investments. And then that will stunt the growth of, of the industry for probably quite a long time. And, and, and while I think we are due for some people backing out before long, some of these major investors, because they're, they'll be too hasty to get a return or to at least see something. I, I think on the topic of them having good or bad investments, I reckon it would have seemed like a good investment based on what they were quoted and what they were promised by Activision Blizzard. But what's actually been produced, um, that they haven't really, they haven't kind of realized those promises. Uh, so so I, I think everything sounded amazing and rosy and like, okay, yeah, this is going to be amazing. We'll, we'll get involved, have a piece of the pie in five, 10 years, amazing investment. 
Um, and now we're questioning if it'll survive past three or four years. Yeah, it just feels like the the money was too much up front where they need to hit these certain benchmarks. I mean, it takes esports leagues a long time to get off the ground. It, imagine if Riot in 2012 been like, all right, we figured it out. This is huge. This is going to be massively popular. It's 20 million to buy into our league. Not going to happen. It would have failed. <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> they slowly, and now Riot, who has a very established worldwide scene, is still only at 10 million. And so that's the benchmark you have to see is like, okay, an LCS spot is 10 million. Well, teams are being sold for way more than that. But anyway, and then a Overwatch or Call of Duty spot is upwards of 20, 30 million. And it's like, wait a second, that doesn't add up on viewership, on popularity metrics or on really anything else. Overwatch was just selling this franchise, this home and away model because that's a new revenue stream. But if that doesn't work, they don't really have an offering that gets anywhere close to justifying the, the buy-ins that these people are paying yeah <laughs> it's so deflating thinking about all of this it really really is because i really want it to work like I, I literally call of duty is the reason i'm in esports like i found it in 2008 fell in love with it and it's why i'm here now and now i'm, I'm here trashing it and preparing to cover it all year in it and, and exposing all the shit that happens like it's, it's so strange like you obviously just want things to succeed i mean it's almost a strange bet as to why they've gone for call of duty as the next big league that they're going to invest into because i mean it's it's not the most family-friendly game. It's never been a top-tier eSport. There's nothing to suggest that it can become one. Um, the, the, the developer support really isn't there. They don't give a fuck. They're too flo- they're like flooded in with having to create a game every year to, to keep raking in the money that way. Like, as, as I, It just doesn't make sense to me as to why College Eat was even picked the more I think about it, to be honest with you. So, I mean, perhaps it was doomed from the start there. That's a that's a fair enough issue. That's a bigger can of worms we could open up if you want. To. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just kind of realized that, really. But I mean, yeah, I, it's, I don't know. I, you have to wait and see. And obviously, fingers are crossed for the best. But uh, my expect expectations are low. But you're you're totally right in things that you, you know. You think about how they sold the Overwatch League to these uh, investors, right? It's uh, we're going to get this on ABC. We've got these partnerships in place to get this on linear television. This is going to be the first mainstream esport. Now the game itself didn't work for that, but you could never make that argument for Call of Duty. No. Call of Duty is not about to be shown on ABC. Never in our lifetimes will a game that focused on literal war <laughs> be played on linear television. And that's fine. I don't think it needs to be, but you're, these are the re- ways they sold this. You also have an established Call of Duty scene with a lot of fans built up. I was a huge fan of Call of Duty coming in as well. And now with all these people being pushed out it feels like the brands that made me a fan of call of duty are shells of themselves in this future league and that's a huge issue going in to 2020 optic phase uh envy still chilling team caliber is not there you know it's like these these brands that people have come to know that are built up through the call of duty scene nade shot in 100 thieves one of the fan favorite call of duty brands nowhere to be seen so there's so many red flags and we want it to succeed. Just want to get positive for a second to make it clear that we're not just shitting on Activision Blizzard out of nothing here. We do care about this and we want this to be positive, but there are just so many issues we need to talk about. Well, yeah, I mean, we can, we can do a, a follow-up positive podcast if you want, though I don't, I don't know if I'm the right person for that. 
<laughs> I, I don't know. I just see red on everything and all the good stuff's fine. I just concentrate on the shit stuff and try and eliminate that, you know? And that's why you are an eSports Awards uh, winner right there, yeah. because that's what good journalists do, is you focus on the shit. There's no no fluff pieces to be written. So if, if there's shit to be said, that's what you got to well, do. Unless you're right for ESPN. But um, <laughs> anyway. Uh... <laughs> like we said, talking shit, having fun. Okay. Uh, the biggest issue, though, uh, even more so than the travel concerns in my mind, is... Or I guess this is a a symptom of some of the things happening behind the scenes is two really famous casters both leaving the Overwatch broadcast team. That's Monte Cristo and Chris uh, MLG Puckett. They were both pretty positive about the league and their experiences on the desk in their announcements that they're leaving, which happened on January 1st for the both of them, uh, except for this tweet from Monte Cristo. And I quote, the departure of Nate Nanzer from OWL led to irreconcilable creative and philosophical differences between myself and the league's current leadership, and all parties will be better served by parting ways. That's not good. That is not what you want one of your one of the faces of the Overwatch League in many cases. Monte Cristo has like 700,000 Twitter followers, and even more so than many of the players, was one of the faces most associated with Overwatch League. And now he's saying... Hey, I had irreconcilable differences that caused me to leave this thing I've been doing for the last four years in advance of this homestand weekend, this most important year of Overwatch esports. What was your reaction to seeing that both of those two guys left and to seeing some of Monte Cristo's thoughts on why he left? Puckett was pretty PR heavy. It was like, mm-hmm. well, not PR heavy. He was appreciative and he was positive about his time, but he still left. You don't leave things where everything's going great. No, well, I mean, like, Puckett uh, tries to be a, a beacon of positivity anyway, so that's kind of, kind of uh, expected. But my actual reaction when I saw Monty announce his departure was that he was actually just being polite and kind in the way he said things and that it would have actually been an absolute fucking nightmare for him to have left, right? And and obviously, is the things going around now about um, getting worse deals despite supposedly the league being in an amazing shape. So, so um, my, my reactions were, I wasn't too surprised. I mean, they're obviously going to try and cut, cut costs as much as possible because it's going to become more costly to actually um, start this new home homestand event series format shitty thing. Like, it's just, I don't know. It was it was expected. There's more to come. I'm not 100% sure that there's going to be more people coming and going uh, from the Overwatch League talent desk and, and, and roster. Um, and I mean, I don't think it's too much of a surprise that the most outspoken, um, perhaps righteous person in, in Monte Cristo, it was was the first one to announce his departure. You know, he's not going to put up with shit. And if there's stuff happening that's less than exemplary, then he's going to speak out about it behind the scenes and then get out whenever he can. And, and there he is. He's, he's no longer there. So I think that says everything you need to know. I agree. And these are two guys who've cared about Overwatch for a long time. They were there when it was beginning. Activision Blizzard poached them away from uh, Call of Duty for Puckett and Riot from from Monte Cristo. And they'd helped guide this scene. It definitely felt like the departure of Nate Nanzer is key there. So Nanzer was the commissioner of the Overwatch League, left for Epic Games last spring because we just assumed Fortnite dropped a massive bag. Clearly, there's something else going on behind the scenes. Some, a uh, lot of butting heads, and it appears they were both on the Nanzer side of whatever dispute was going on there. And so, because he's mentioned in Puckets as well. And so, whatever they're doing flew in the face of how Overwatch was being run uh, 
in the three, four years prior. Maybe it was just that, hey, we're not ready for this homestand weekend thing. We need to delay it. And they're like, no, we promise this to investors. We're doing this right now. Uh, and I would tend to agree with Monte Cristo and Puckett if that was the side they were on. Oh, 100% no, no, I agree with you. And I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the other people come out and say. Uh, that, that's, that's my thing. I want to see if everyone else echoes the same statements or if, if there are other reasons behind it or they simply don't say anything, then then perhaps they're not all on, in the same boat as such. But my, I have a sneaky suspicion that, that they are. Like th- things are changing too much and, and they're probably going against the, the word of the experienced and, and veteran casters, you know, who, who know what they're on about and have been around and have seen things, uh, leagues and projects come and go before. That's the most important thing and why you need to rely on the people that have been in the esports space for a long time because they've seen this kind of stuff happen. They understand esports and you can't just take esports and run it like a traditional sports league. It's not, maybe if that could be your goal in 15, 20 years, but right now you can't just jump into an established scene and be like, nope, we're doing it like this and just crank it. It won't work. So... One of the biggest outspoken critics of this and who shed a lot of light on this was Richard Lewis, whose uh, opinion pieces for Dexerto are always quite interesting reads. He titled a piece a couple days ago, Make no mistake, losing top-tier talent means the Overwatch League is in trouble. And his fourth line in the bolded section on top of every Dexerto article uh, included a reference to Chinese communism. So at that point, you knew it was going to be just an absolute heater of a piece. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's true, and I mean, it's hard to—I don't know—it's it's hard to argue with uh, basically anything. Well, everything that I've seen that he said is is hit the nail on the head. I haven't read the piece myself yet, as I don't have time for everything. But I will, I will fit it in at some point. It'll be a, a nighttime reading for me, no doubt. I'll be in bed, lamp on, Richard Lewis article. That's how that will go. Because um, I mean, it's probably a lengthy read, right? And um, but but yeah, you, you know. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of the Overwatch League fans say, well, how come you only talk about Overwatch League when you're saying negative stuff? And it's like, because you're already saying all the positive shit for it. You need someone to counteract that. So anybody who kind of comes out and says that he's just attacking the Overwatch League for the sake of it, I don't think they understand his true intentions because obviously I think he's demonstrated at least throughout his actions over the last 10, 15 years, whatever it may be, that he's got the, the scene's best interests at heart and at mind. So you, you've got to kind of remind yourself of that and think, okay, if he's going against something, of course someone can be wrong, but he hasn't been yet. He hasn't he hasn't missed once in any article. Uh, and I don't think he's started yet. I think he's, he's still he's still right right on the nose with it all. Yeah, and this one's a, this one's a heater for sure, but he, he talks about Reddit comments and how fans of games somehow take this so personally when they're the ones that these journalists are trying to be like, hey, this is a problem for this league you care about. And they're like, no, how dare you attack this league I'm a part of. It's like, you're not Activision Blizzard. Why are you defending them? It's fine. Let the let people call them out on their shit because if they won't change anything if they think their fans don't care what people are writing or they don't care how people perceive this league. Uh, and he talks about a little bit of that in the piece saying that, you know, Reddit comments are weirdly... I. I don't want to misquote him, but yeah, he's he, weirdly obsessed with Activision Blizzard and supporting Activision Blizzard when they haven't done anything deserving of that support recently. Oh, of course, and, and that's just the probably something he'd say is like the mind, the minds of the mentally deranged. 
Well, you just can't, you can't reason with them. You can't understand their logic. There is none. They'll just blindly. They'll literally jump off a bridge if Activision Blizzard say that that's where the next Overwatch League home series is going to be hosted. Right, you just jump off this really tall building, jump off this really tall building, and then you'll see London versus Philadelphia, like Spitfire versus Fusion. It'll be amazing. And all of these Reddit commenters will be like, okay, and then they'll just f- fall, meet to death, and, and then in hell, they'll still be saying Activision Blizzard is the best and Overwatch League is the best thing to ever happen. Truly lemmings on Reddit, and that's something you have to be aware of when you're using that platform. It is, it is the hive mind of all hive minds where they have a thought and whatever thought that is, every other dissenting opinion is going to be completely shuttered. So that's just using Reddit in a nutshell and not just in the gaming and esports communities, but literally all over the site. An important thing to be aware of when you're using the site. Uh, so he also mentions that, you know, these guys like Christo and Puckett, they bring an important level of goodwill from the esports audience. Uh, when you want to call out these newcomers to esports, because that's what Overwatch is. It's the most recent major esport besides Fortnite, I guess, or Battle Royale. I'm not going to count it. Um, <laughs> and you have guys like Christo and Puckett that have been in esports since the late 2000s. It's a long time for casters. There's very few casters who can say they've been around that long. And so without those faces leading the broadcast, suddenly it opens itself up to more direct criticism because those are the guys those are the voices you're hearing on Twitch chat those are the voices or the the guy the faces you're seeing and so the comments can change when it's people you don't recognize when it's less experienced casters and having you know esports pioneers people who've been in the scene for a long time leading the broadcast helped make them immune to some level of criticism and i think it's a really good point because how will that change next year when it's I don't know who their replacements are going to be. Some They'll get some people who are well-known. They're still Activision Blizzard, still the Overwatch League, but they can't get anybody to the level of these two guys. No, and you, you've got to remember as well that these two um, guys themselves have worn many hats over the course of their career. So like team owners and producers of events and such, like they, they understand how, how everything happens, how everything works. So they're not just coming at it from a point of view where it's like, oh, I'm a caster, I've been involved in, in this, I know, I know everything. It's like, no, they've literally done it all. So they have a better understanding than half of these people that have come in from traditional sports or wherever it is and think they know exactly what they need to do. It's, it's not the case. And I mean, they've announced Jake and Custer to now retired players as replacements straight away. Um, and I mean, sure, that's cool because they're very popular. So that that... that kind of makes sense as to why they've done it and, and they're articulate and well presented and such so they're, they're not bad replacements but I mean they're not casters they're players who know about the game so so it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a tricky one there in my opinion um, I, I don't know how it'll be received I mean Jake's from Outlaws and Outlaws have got probably the most arranged fans there are so um, he, he'll be fine like he, he'll be celebrated no matter what and, and Custer's a hunk, so he'll be fine. Everyone will be drooling over him. They won't even listen to him. They'll just they'll just watch him and just drivel. So that's fine. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think I think yeah. You've just got you've just got to remember that they're very experienced, as you say. They've been around for a, for a long, long time, longer than most people, and, and they know what they're on about. Uh, and they're willing to speak out about stuff and actually leave when it's time for them to leave. I don't know if you'll get that from other people who are clearly just in it for for a bag of money. 
Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned the replacements. It's a good point. They're two Overwatch players. I think one of the key differences is that when you're trying to sell this league to the mainstream esports fan, you know, Overwatch is not going to get picked up by a random person's flipping through ABC. It just does. It's not going to happen. So Overwatch to grow viewers needs to get the esports guys. I think it helps or would have helped to have people who had a history in other games come over and put their stamp of approval. Now with Jake and Custa, it's completely an Overwatch centered broadcast, which wouldn't be a bad thing in other esports, but when it sort of puts a cap on viewership in my mind, right? Because the only people going in who know them are people who are already fans of Overwatch. So that to me is a little bit of a of an issue because they need to grow viewership. And these are some of their guys who would put a stamp of approval on Overwatch from other places in the esports world. And now it's all within the Overwatch bubble, a bubble that just isn't very big right now, honestly. No, I, I, one, two things I'll say is, one, um, conveniently, no doubt, this is a, a 2020 prediction, conveniently, um, there will be more embedded streams for the Overwatch League on random sites. Conveniently, just happens. And um, conveniently, China will be an absolute force with no viewing bots at all. 100% no viewership bots. Definitely not. Definitely not button at all, but China will be uh, absolutely massive in them reaching these incredible numbers that they think, well, they're posing that they're going to get. You know, I think I think is going to be a lot of foul play going on, basically. Uh, um, maybe, I don't know. I don't know if that's classed as a hot take or just being sensible, but <laughs> that, that, that's what I'd say is going to happen. It's already uh, an issue that they're dealing with and these faulty numbers in esports and the different ways that you can inflate viewership uh, is something that Overwatch has called out and Richard Lewis calls it out in his piece. Has anyone done the really in-depth look at like all the different ways they embed streams? And I, I know I've seen tweets about it and I've seen threads, but I'm not sure I've ever seen the comprehensive article that really gets down and is like, this is the exact viewership manipulation and this is how they're doing it. You know if that's out there? Um, if it is out there, I haven't seen it, which typically means it's not out there, but it may be something I missed because I don't really chomp at the bit for Overwatch League stuff too much. Um, if anyone's going to do it, though, I imagine Richard Lewis will be all over it, and I know he's, he's working hard, so hopefully there's something there because obviously uh, that stuff's happening and it needs calling out and highlighting. 100% needs, needs outing, and um, I'd do it myself, but I wouldn't know where to start as people who are better equipped to, to attack that stuff and, and hopefully that they get to it. Yeah, those are those are really tough because it's going to be impossible to get anybody on the record. So you need to have a myriad of back uh, connections to build this out and be like, okay, this is what's actually happening. And I feel confident enough to get this out because if you make a misstep in that reporting, it could be disastrous. Well, at, at that point, being Richard Lewis and having a good friend in Monty who is well-connected with everyone who has just left and is a big a big person for the truth, that would be a good position to be in, is all I'm going to say on that. That's a, that's a good point. So yeah, expect that article in the future. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> it's, it's a really interesting technique. And even with, there's been evidence that they've done this in the past, and it happens in other esports too, not just an Activision Blizzard issue, but basically what they do is they embed streams uh, in wiki pages, like on Leaguepedia or somewhere like that, that then if you view that page, even if you're not watching the stream, it counts as a view. And that's how they inflate viewership. So people who don't know what we're talking about here, that's one of the ways that esports companies make it look like more people are watching. And then there's the numbers that come out of China, which are completely unable to be verified. So there's a reason that uh, 
charts that Twitch charts has your with China viewership and your without China viewership uh, because there's we just have to take China's the Chinese government's word for how many people watch this. I I think is how that works. I I don't know how else you get numbers out of China. Well, um, event organizers and stuff tend to just um, present stuff excluding China's viewership at this point, which is fucking ludicrous that we even have to do that. Um, But I mean, like esports charts, for example, they break down everything and always show you with and without China. And like the inevitable boost is just insane. It's like, it's unfathomable, uh, unfathomable when I can speak. That's what happens when you don't sleep. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just insane. Yeah, so it's just like, yeah, we have to discount them instead of counting the legit ones. So that, that has to be something that comes into play eventually to, to verify all these people. But uh, there's, there's so many things we need to change with esports broadcasting, and, and one of them is monetizing it. I will just say that right now. Something needs to be changed on that, on that front. On monetizing the esports well, broadcast? Without a doubt. I, without a doubt, because fans are so spoiled. They get absolutely everything for free. How else do you get that? Obviously, we're in a good position where you can just there's, there's multiple streams for one tournament, and, and like if you look at the Premier League, for example, it's so fragmented that that's a bad experience. But like making a like obviously the streaming wars eventually gonna expand out from streamers and go to leagues and, and tournaments, right? It has to happen at some point, um, and I just hope at that point um, they they secure it on one platform and and they come up with a really good solution as to where we can actually start monetizing the fans or else esports is just not going to grow, mate. And if it is, it's, it's, it's going to grow for a while, very slowly though, and then it'll crash and go backwards and then we have to start all again. So uh, I think there's bigger problems in the Chinese viewership thing, though that is still really important, of course. Like we need, we need to get that figured out as soon as possible. Yeah, the Chinese viewership is so weird because it is the biggest market for esports. Like, there's no doubt that more people are watching esports there than in any other country. But it's still the numbers are unverifiable and you can't run with them because they're absolutely insane. Uh, to your point about monetization, one of my biggest, biggest issues is that people expect everything on the internet to be free. It drives me absolutely bonkers. They want to come to places like Esports Network or Esports Insider to consume content and to read all the writers and read the, the latest thoughts from experts, but they're not really willing to pay for Imagine it. Imagine if we put a paywall up. Oh, God, uh, your, your viewership would go to the same here. We one dollar per podcast episode, which is great value for money if, if it's a long podcast and you've got people who know what they're on about. Imagine if it was one dollar per thing. Like, no, everyone would go mental and say we're, we've lost our minds. Yeah, how dare you? What? Oh, you think you're that valuable? Yes. No, I think I deserve a dollar. And it's, like- <laughs> it's, it's nothing, is it, in the grand scheme of things? But that's, that's the problem with that. We, we would actually get that. Instead of people just going, okay, well, I don't want to pay that, but I understand why they're doing it. People genuinely think we're mental. We're off our heads for, for monetizing in any way, even if it was something as small as a dollar. Uh, and, and extend that across the entire industry on a larger scale, and there's your problem. Yeah, is that people expect their content for free. And Everything for free. You can put some ads in it. It's fine. The They're also apprehensive to brands being involved. But I mean, it, you just... Like when you saw Nike's new uh, kits for for the LPL teams, and it was like, oh, I hate it. Oh, the Nike swoosh, what branding? It's like, yes, guys, you realize we need brands. You're not willing to pay for the content. So somehow they need to make money somewhere this is how it's going to happen. I don't know what you want. You just want everything for free, but then the league to keep growing and being insane with these awesome spectacles. That's not how the world works. How do you not know that at this point? 
It is it's insane. Uh, uh, and I, d- I don't even know how they're going to monetize these homestand events. They're going to have to have so many activations there from brands, mate. But even then, like, I don't know. They're going to have to be something special to even get people to want to do them, the fans and general public to actually go and do them. So that, that kind of leads yeah. back to that. I think it's going to be a real monetization problem there um, uh, overall. And before... Before someone says ticket revenue, the ticket revenue for these events is hardly going to cover the rent for the venue that they're buying. Nowhere near. People think people think it costs like fifty k to put on a CS:GO event. It's like no, it's like a million. Like you have no no idea of how much this shit costs. Like imagine having to put on an entire event for a weekend in a massive venue because you've been told to get a massive venue and you need space for all your brand partners and such. You know, and place for all the the teams to be all all the way. Uh, all the way from them practicing to them actually competing and everything in between. You have to pay for their accommodation, like you have to pay for their travel, like everything's included. Like it, it's not cheap. And these players are getting overinflated salaries as it is. So just think about the amount of money they are spending each year. It's insane. It's bonkers. And that's why they're cus- they're cutting caster's salaries going into it because they just don't have... And it's one of the key esports problems. Is yes, there's a ton of opportunity in this industry. There's going to be massive audiences that you will be able to monetize in the future. But right now, the revenue streams don't exist for esports companies. They just really aren't out there besides the game publishers. Activision, Blizzard, and Riot have no problem getting money. That's not from the esports side. That's from in-game purchases unrelated to esports. If you're an esports company, you're not really making very much revenue at all. There's very few exceptions to that. I agree. I think I, I think I heard something whereas maybe two or three organizations, like uh, esports organizations that are actually profitable. <laughs> and that might even be generous. It might be like which one, one or two. I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe 100 Thieves? Nowhere I, near. Like, nowhere near. Yeah. Kind of 100 Thieves are definitely not profitable yet. Um, they're, they're working towards it. I think uh, Nate even said in one of his videos, like in 2020, we're going to work towards getting profitable. So like he, he's actually come out and said it. But I mean, yeah, I, th- I think there are... Uh, I've, I heard two or three. I think it's probably one or two. And it'll be one of the smaller ones. It won't be one of the ones that are operating in every game. If you think like a Space Station Gaming, for example, who are partnered in Rocket League and, and Smite and Paladins, and they've got in-game items there with revenue share, for example, and then they're invested into the um, Indian PUBG mobile scene, uh, and and they're in Trackmaster, like they're in a bunch of these smaller titles which have got less cost associated with them, but there's still a lot of opportunities. I think they're operating smarter than most organisations, um, like operate operating in the tier two, tier three games that are actually offering support. So I'd say, I'd say they could be. Who knows? I, I don't know. I don't have any inside information on that, but I don't I don't think it'll be uh, one of the big organisations just yet. But I also do think 100 Thieves will be the first big organization to become profitable. I, I, would, I would definitely agree with you. I, seeing some of the ways they invest, I mean, first of all, avoiding the Call of Duty League, which is a total... I mean, Nadeshot is a Call of Duty champion. He founded this league. A lot of their fans are Call of Duty fans. They had one of the best teams before this happened. And it shows, hey, we have a pretty decent idea of where profitability, what a path to profitability looks like. And it does not involve the Call of Duty League, which is a huge issue for Call of Duty in general. And so I do hope with their fashion side, they feel like they could get profitability, focusing a lot on streamers. Streamers are going to be one of the places where uh, they can actually bring in more money for the organization than they're costing you uh, if the deal is structured correctly. But the whole the whole ecosystem needs a lift and homestand weekends were supposed to be that new revenue source and it just does not 
it seems like it's going to cost more money than it's going to bring in, which is really unfortunate. Which, which game do you think could be the most profitable in, say, five years? Which esports title? <laughs> I know it's a tough one. I... That's the thing. We can't even identify one. It's mental. We can't. It's, it's mental. We don't even know what, I... what game's going to be profitable. <laughs> like, it's no. mental. How can we not know at this point? And everyone's claiming esports is as big as fucking NFL and all this shit and the Super Bowl. You know, you know it's going to be the NBA 2K players are going to have more salary than NBA players in 10 years. All this shit. Like, no chance. It's never going to happen. And, and those false. Okay, the NBA. The NBA 2K League does not exist in five years. Oh, no way. Yeah, this I, is I'm, saying that I'm more confident saying that than I am saying which league will be the most profitable. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, PUBG, after 2020, will no longer have a supported esports scene. NBA 2K League will last two, three more years. Um, it's Yeah, that one, that that league was a was a trade wreck for the ground. I, I would say League of Legends is your most likely guess to, to profitability. I think they have some issues, but they do have the biggest global audience. Uh, I was at Worlds, and Worlds was a true spectacle. Um, it doesn't feel like they're getting too far ahead of themselves with their growth. I do worry about all the different games coming out of Riot Studio. You go from a one-game studio to adding Teamfight Tactics, a little one, to now doing uh, an FPS game, a card game, a MMO, like every single different genre, an anime show. So it's like, okay, how is Riot going to deal with this rapid expansion? Yeah. But... Uh, I would say if you're going to make a guess, it's probably League of Legends. I would agree. I, would agree. I think the national infrastructure that they've got at the moment, which they'll keep expanding on, is a good idea. Um, I think it's either going to be League of Legends or a game that hasn't come out yet. I personally think uh, that there'll be, there'll be a game that comes out with esports in mind. Obviously, that hasn't worked out too well all the time. Um, normally, you have to let the community kind of demand it first, like an Apex Legends perhaps or something. But I think it'll be a game that comes out that, that has esports in mind. It's maybe not geared entirely for it. But they, they understand that rev share is an important thing and they understand that they need to grow with the teams and, and listen and maybe let them have a little equity in the league or something, you know, like a semi-exclusive bit like B-Site that's happening in CSGO. I think it'll be something like that that comes out that completely changes and remodels how games are structured for esports and we just don't know it yet. Like like the impact Fortnite had in the gaming world, I think we'll probably do another one of those, uh, probably in gaming and in esports. Yeah, I, I I would like to see a, a format change. That would be that would be key in how they're running these leagues and giving. <laughs> it's horrible, but one of the league structures I actually enjoyed was the H one Z one Pro League and how they split up ownership. And now that league had seventeen hundred issues uh, beyond this, and this was like sort of a a partnership in name only, basically. But the concept of it actually made sense. They split up twenty percent ownership between all these different groups, between the teams, uh, Twin Galaxies, which again, tons of issues. I'm not advocating for the H1Z1 Pro League and all the, the ways they screwed over people. But I do think the concept of ownership where it's 20% to the teams, 20% to the league, 20% to the developer, 20% uh, to a third party kind of makes sense to me. That would be a, a format that would work that you actually have to do it, H1Z1, but... The concept of it kind of makes sense. I just remember H1Z1 Pro League being on Facebook, trying to catch one of the VODs, and and the, the setup for the VODs was just the worst thing I've ever seen. So I couldn't... I, like Some some VODs were split into days, some were split into weeks, some weren't split at all, and I was just like, oh, fuck this, I'll just not bother. So I never actually got to see any of it because it was that much of a shambles. 
the whole thing was a train wreck. Again, I it feels so weird saying something positive about the H1Z1 Pro League because I can't say as many negative things. It's so it was so bad. There was visa issues. People weren't getting paid. I mean, it was directly tied to the Rick Fox, uh, Jace Hall racism Echo Fox drama. So H1Z1 Pro League, not a good thing. But the concept of their ownership structure, not horrible. Speaking of, let's talk about the Call of Duty format changes. We talked about it a little bit on the top, uh, but I want to really dive into it. So Christmas Eve, we get every reporter gets a gets an email. It's like 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve. It's not even like Christmas Eve morning. You know, it's like it's it's not a time. Like I guess you for me. <laughs> it was like yeah, it was like late for you, late at night when you're going into Christmas. You're probably drunk, and you're like, what? What is this? I don't, I don't know what you're insinuating. Are you insinuating that I'm an alcoholic? Oh, I need alcohol to cope. No, I just get drunk on Christmas oh, Eve. I don't know about everybody else, but that's... <laughs> I just have to make sure. <laughs> no, sir. I'm <laughs> I'm just usually in a. Hammer I don't know if anyone's ever stormed out of a podcast before, but I wanted to try and angle myself to do so, like some sort of Kanye wild stunt. But obviously, I couldn't get it off that time. <laughs> With your mic, you're across the seas, across the Atlantic Ocean for me, so I'm sure it wouldn't be. I couldn't really stop you. So you're, you're to do it. Sorry, I derailed you. Sorry, yeah, CDL format change. Yes, Christmas Eve news came yeah. out. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they need this, and it's like the general reaction is like, "Hey, this is good because what they changed is from this league play structure where teams play one series, and now they play in full tournament at one place, which is what Call of Duty events were before. It was the my, it was a CS:GO format, very similar to Call of Duty. It was all wrapped into a league." But basically, you'd play minor tournaments and it would all lead into some majors. Uh, and that worked. That was what the Call of Duty esports scene has been for the last nine years or so. It was one of the more established esports scenes out there. And so now they try to move in this league play. There's a ton of pushback, clearly internally. I didn't actually see a ton of it. I saw fans saying it, but I didn't see it from owners and players online. But clearly, internally, Activision was getting a shit ton of pushback. And now they move into this tournament. And they release it on Christmas Eve. And this is an issue for me for a couple of reasons. I feel like I saw a lot of things. So I got an email actually from it was from Hastro and from MB Gaming. They're like, this is great. This change is awesome. We're changing to a rivalry format. And part of me was like, oh, I'm going to write this. This is great. This is cool. This is a better format for them. And I was like, wait a second. Why would they release news on Christmas Eve? Because they don't want you to look at the fact that, holy shit, games start in a month. And they're changing the format. That's horrible. And so they release this news so that people are just like, okay, just just get it out there. Oh, the league play changed. It's not, wait, what? How could you possibly have a league with this big of buy-ins and the format is not set in stone one month before games are set to kick off? That's absolutely crazy. It shows how drastic things how drastic things needed to change, right? How drastically it needed to refresh. And and the the obvious thing you have to look at is uh, ticket sales. I imagine um, they weren't great, just like I imagine they're not for the Overwatch League as well. So, I mean, they need to refresh something there. They needed a positive spin on something. I mean, I actually got the, the, the email from Envy from Dallas Empire before I got it from CDR themselves. Uh, which was crazy. I was just like, sorry, I'm finding out through them. And then I see it like, it's, I don't know. Again, again, mismanagement, absolute bollocks, shoddy shit there. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just think, yeah, there needs to make a massive change or at least make it seem like they had a massive change on the horizon. Something that was going to, cause I think um, the, the quote from the commissioner of um, college of Esports said like, we're taking the, 
the format you all know and love and evolving it and making it something special, something you've never seen before. And it's like, you're not really. Like, you're just trying to spin it as much as possible. But, of course, fans lapped it up. At first, pro players lapped it up, and I think they've kind of come out and spoke about it after they've thought about it a bit <laughs> and, and realised it's not as great as, as, as you'd, you'd um, kind of initially think. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's... Yeah, but it, considering it's a month out, it was a month out from when shit was going to go down to the day, the 24th. Uh, then that, that that says everything. That says everything you need to know. Like that, that's drastic measures. That's like almost like fucking damage control. It's that's it, it's crazy. You should not be making any sort of change like that that close to the season. And if it was last summer and they're like, hey, actually, we think we're gonna do this in a tournament structure. Be like, okay, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Teams still have time to sign venue contracts. Now, very predictably, six days later on New Year's Eve. Uh, they announced that they're going to have to drop some of the dates from the schedule because teams didn't get a venue. If they did get a venue, it was for one day, and now it needs to be for three days or where, whatever issue they had. So now you have these teams that paid a bunch of money, hopefully to get people into a stadium in their hometown, and the format change is going to prevent them from ever doing that. So they follow up one holiday release with another holiday release, this one even worse, and it's... Again, three weeks. I don't even know if we've seen the official schedule. I'm not even sure what dates were dropped. Do you? Uh, no, no. Um, know? When I went to check, because we've got some like events calendar on the esports insider website. Um, I, I was going to update that with the new Call of Duty things. You know, I literally just spent however long putting all 13 weekends in, and um, before they changed it, and, uh, and no, there was nothing at, at the time. It showed the Minnesota one as being on the same date, but they also said the format would actually come into play in the London event right so which is the second week um is, is when the so i guess the first week is going to remain unchanged that's how you know it's just they've cobbled this all together and uh, they couldn't even um, like get it going from the from the start so so no um I, I i'm not even sure the full format and schedule is available to us all yet still so i don't even think they're i don't think they're done with it and um, we're what we're, uh, like 18 days away yeah. two and a half weeks 18 days <laughs> insane it's okay. At least they didn't pay a lot of money to join the league, right? Well, well, face tried not to. Um. <laughs> and they got into it. They actually, I think FaZe may have played it one of the best ways. Now, other organizations didn't know they could do that. Yeah, like, but, well, they actually co-own the spot, though. So it's it's more right. than a, it's more than just a licensing brand thing. But I mean, yeah, I don't think they have a, 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 anywhere near as big commitment as any everyone else. But I'm sure they were able to leverage that brand and be like, you can use the FaZe brand, we'll be co-owners. Uh, you might know more of the details. I know you've talked to the people there, but the deal they tried to make with Activision was like, you need FaZe. They went to Atlanta Esports Ventures were like, no, you need FaZe. And Atlanta was like, yes, we do. We would love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's... It's a weird one. It's the vibe well, I, I didn't that. want to speak about it at all, to be completely honest with you. Um, I was just putting so much pressure on them on Twitter and annoying them that they just said yes, finally. I appreciate it. It was one of my favorite articles, and I'll link that one from Adam down below as well. So a lot of future reading for you guys off this podcast. I want to wrap it up real quick. Adam, this time next year, we're looking back at a year of Overwatch and Call of Duty esports. What do you think we're saying? I told you so. (laughs) I told you so. Just point to this podcast, and hopefully we're right about it. I'll be like, 
Yeah, we, we literally predicted everything that's just happened. Why are we all acting really surprised? Come on, we are prophets. No, actually, we are just sensible people with working minds. Like, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it'll be a case of like, okay, everything we've said has, has come true. Unless there's been a massive 180 somewhere in the pivoting mid-season and making these massive format changes again, like a week out from an event taking place and, and spending even more money there. I, I don't know. It takes something massively drastic at this point for me to change my mind. So yeah, I'd say uh, I'll I'll be looking back in the year, a year from now, linking them to this podcast and and feeling really fucking smug and a bit upset because I do want everything to succeed and esports to thrive. You know, we do want everything to succeed as you as we keep mentioning. We want everything to succeed. With that being said, I'm expecting to see multiple Overwatch pros quit mid season. Oh, there'll be at least five retirements next next season. Easily. Like, no one's going to want to do all that traveling. It's not worth it. It's insane. When you can be a streamer and not have to travel and just go on Twitch and set your computer up in your pajamas. You don't even have to be good at the game at that point. <laughs> no. No. Look at XQC. XQC is making way more money now that now he's a streamer instead of... Uh, playing in the Overwatch League. It's not going to be a hard sell to different players, especially if their team isn't doing well. They're going to drop it. And so that's that's going to be absolutely brutal because once players start leaving, you have to be able to build stars to get these people to come out and you can't just have constant... And that's, a, that's actually an esports-wide issue, having the cost to turn over professionals. But I think uh, definitely in Overwatch, and it probably will happen in Call of Duty as well. You've got these faces in call of duty that are actually been around for quite a long time it feels like the guys like skump that have rabid fan bases the old optic guys and you've got krim and karma they're uh, both probably like 20, 25 26 now like they're they're at the end of their road they'll probably have one that's, or two that's seasons ancient. that's tom brady <laughs> for, for real like like <laughs> skump krim and karma the three like most achieve, achieved achieved and beloved players that they will all retire in the next year or two so at least one or two seasons of the CDL if it gets to a second season, like and then and then as you say, like uh, are there going to be new styles built by then? You, you fucking hope so if you're Activision Blizzard, right? Oh, they better, they they better have them. So it'll be really interesting to see how 2020 goes out. And I want to reiterate for the final time: we want this league to succeed, but when it doesn't succeed, <laughs> it does. <laughs> Okay, that's unreasonable. But yeah, yeah, we're right. Yeah, that, that, I stand by that. I endorse that message. <laughs> All right, this is Adam Fitch. He's the editor of Esports Insider. Check out Esports Insider. Add it to your bookmark bar. It's a great place to get your daily esports content without the bullshit that you'll get at plenty of the other sites covering esports. Adam, thanks so much for joining the podcast. I appreciate you for inviting me on, mate. Thank you very much. And, and cheers for letting me swear and be completely honest. You don't get that everywhere. Oh, this is one of my favorites. This is one of my favorites. Appreciate it. Thank you. We'll have to have you on uh, next year, this day. We're going to book it, and we'll see just how right I we mean, I might, I might cost a little bit by then, but I mean, let's get it done. <laughs> exclusive. Like there we go, man. I'll pay it out. Have a good one, Adam. Thank you all to our listeners. I hope you enjoyed this first podcast of 2020. We're looking forward to a great year with a lot of awesome content just like this one.